For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 29th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Just as the auto industry is recovering from COVID-19 and part shortages, a big strike looms that could derail all the progress. We'll give you the details later in this segment. And nearly 100 all-new electric vehicle models are set to come to market in the next three years, but there's only one problem. We'll tell you what that is and talk a bit about it a little bit later, uh, later in the segment, so you won't have long to wait. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Hi, I'm Jack Neared. With me is co-host Chris Teague, editor of yourtestdriver.com. Chris, you're back from your f- summer vacation with the family. Tell us a little bit about it. It's always fun to go to other places, Jack. The uh, the what the difference in weather alone is worth the trip for us because uh, we moved back to Washington. I'm from Tennessee, so it's kind of funny that I used to be kind of used to the weather. Uh, but as soon as we got off the plane, I, I started sweating, and I don't think I stopped until I got back here. Otherwise, it was very much fun. How much? How was your week? Yeah, I had a good week too. We uh, went on vacation to Texas. Of course, I love Texas. I have two girls who live in Texas, and I spent a. A week at a lake house uh, south of Dallas. Had a great time. Uh, It was just terrific all the way around. As you longtime listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most for your automotive dollar. Of course, we review a couple of vehicles each week. And coming up a little later, we'll take a look at the electric vehicle market and the government's plans going forward. Are those expectations realistic? We'll discuss it. We'll have our opinions about it. Tesla has rolled out a new incentive plan that could earn its current owners some money. So we'll have details on that. They're kind of related issues. And is this a good time to buy a new or used car or should you wait? We'll have a great guest that will tell us more on that. Sam Fiorani is vice president of global vehicle forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. Uh, Often quoted Sam Fiorani. We have him on our show. At the halfway point in the year, we're going to take a look at the industry to see if this is a good time to buy a new car. And of course, reviewing cars is one of the things we do best. Chris, what vehicle would you like to tell us about this week? Uh, I spent the week in Washington, D.C. with the Toyota Camry Hybrid. Oh. It's a very nice car to have for, for the week. Very cool. I'll be discussing a vehicle that the Nerad family drove on our summer vacation in Texas, the Toyota Sienna minivan. Uh, we touched down in Dallas and uh, spent uh, close to 10 days, I guess, in the Sienna. So we'll have our educated take on that vehicle. Uh, worked out very well for our vacation which is very nice. Before we do anything else, though, we'll be bringing you some of the latest automotive information from around the world, and let's dive into that. Uh, Strike is looming. The UAW president says the union is prepared to strike. The Detroit Three used to be called the Big Three. I guess they're not not as big anymore. But uh, that's uh, kind of startling news in some ways, I guess, uh, to be expected because the contracts are up. 
But uh, what's your take on that, Chris? I think it's just another speed bump for the auto industry, right? Well, they had the pandemic and then they've had parts shortages and supply chain issues and now they're having labor issues. But, you know, you got to get the money from if you're in the if you're in the for looking at it from the perspective of the workers, um, their demands don't seem all that unreasonable. But uh, I guess we'll have to see where the negotiations go. In quoting a, a Reuters story about this, uh, the head of the United Auto Workers, who's a guy named Sean Fain, said that they are ready to strike the big three, the General, General Motors, Ford Motor Company, and Chrysler parent Stellantis. I think the deadline for this is mid-September. This is what Fain uh, was quoted as saying. They've made a quarter of a trillion dollars in North American profits over the last 10 years, and they can afford to make things right for our members if the big three don't give us our fair share, then they're choosing the strike themselves and we're not afraid to take action. So, you know, there's always big talk before the, these things during contract negotiations. At the same time, with the inventory situation being still what it is, a strike could be very negative for the industry. Uh, I don't want to say devastating, but maybe even devastating for the industry. What do you think is going to happen? Who knows? I have to break out my crystal ball. Maybe I should get one so I can become a rich consultant to the automotive industry about when to, <laughs> when how to get out of strikes. Uh, but I have no idea, Jack. It does sound like they're serious uh, moving forward. So uh, hopefully the automakers figure it out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think with uh, inventories down, the car companies probably don't want to take strikes because <laughs> they have little enough inventory as it is. Although, uh, in the next story we're going to be talking about, they have a lot of inventory of one particular type of vehicle, and that's electric vehicles. Uh, the U.S. electric vehicle market is growing, but sales of those vehicles are not keeping up with the introductions and um, the production of vehicles. Uh, a lot of them are stacking up in both dealers' hands and in manufacturer hands. And uh, Tesla is <laughs> doing what it can to stir things up by cutting prices and, and trying to keep, uh, maintain its market share. Uh, and it claims to have uh, better margins, of course, than a lot of the traditional manufacturers. Uh, what's your th what are your thoughts about this? Uh, you know, I th we've we've seen what looks like softness in in the EV market, and now it's being confirmed. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it shows a disconnect between what people actually want to buy and own, and what the government and I guess everyone else wants to kind of push. Uh, you know, we've been hearing for years that everyone's going to buy an electric car and we're going to stop having gas cars, you know, the next few years. And this just shows that even given the option, people aren't taking it with the same frequency. I think that a lot of analysts and government officials would probably hope for. Uh, but, you know, Tesla is such a large part of the industry that when something happens with them, uh, they, they tend to drive the, the trend in the industry. So uh, Tesla cutting prices has brought down the overall prices of the of the industry, but it doesn't. It hasn't helped them sell more cars, it appears. Yeah, it's an interesting that uh, I think it's maybe helped them maintain some market share, and they'd like that, and they'd like to do that, uh, and they'd like to get ahead of everybody buying uh, or, or sampling other people's uh, electric vehicles. I think they'd like to be the the go to when it comes to electrics, and I think that's going to be a tougher and tougher sell. I mean, when you look at the Model Three, I think it was introduced in 2017, and it largely has not changed in a long, long time. I think they're going to have to change their models more frequently to continue to maintain consumer interest. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, we've seen plenty of spy pictures of a new Model 3 and maybe an updated Model uh, Y or S. So I think, you know, they have some products in the pipeline. It is interesting that it's taken them this long to come out with a full, uh, full overhaul for the cars because they roll out so many small changes along the way. I guess they feel like they've, they've kind of done their work, but. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they refresh it going forward. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of inventory of these new cars introduced. I mean, General Motors, Ford, Hyundai, Toyota, 
a lot of them have 90 days worth of unsold uh, inventory at their stores. I'm, 90 days is maybe a kind of an arcane thing for people to, to get their arms around. What this means is the sales rate, uh, the, the number of vehicles on the ground can, can carry them through 90 days of sales at the current sales rate. They'd like to, I think a car company would like to see a day, a day sales rate or a days, a days of sales in the 40 or 50 day range as opposed to 90. That's way high. This is not a good sign for electric vehicles that, uh, while we're being told this is what consumers want. Yeah, hopefully uh, the prices start to come back in line with uh, with gas vehicle prices. And then, you know, the charging network that I love to complain about kind of grows so that people have a good reason to buy an EV because right now they're more expensive and they're harder to live with than a lot of places. I would say if you want a uh, F-150 Lightning EV or a Mustang Mach-E electric vehicle, this is a good time to go out shopping and, and see what's out there. Uh, 86 days worth of F-150 Lightnings apparently are uh, in inventory and 113 days worth of Mustang Mach-E's. Ford really geared up the production of Mach-E's recently and uh, they, they built about three times more than they sold in the, in the first half of the year. Uh, which is not the way you want to go about doing this. Volkswagen doing a little bit better, but uh, this is going to be troubling to a lot of manufacturers, I would think. Yeah, hopefully looking at that, plus a strike, it's going to be a stressful few few quarters for them if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's dive into the reaction from car companies to what the current administration would like to do in terms of selling electric vehicles. I mean, they would like to see 67% of electric vehicles in, I think, 2032, two-thirds of new car sales being electrics. I, I think that's just a total pipe dream. And uh, uh, these car companies, Stellantis and Toyota in particular, seem to agree. Yeah, you know, we've talked about it before. I mean, taking the manufacturing difficulties out of this, they, you know, the supply chains aren't necessarily in place to support this level of volume of production. And, and for them, it's, you know, a big nightmare. So, uh, I can see how the shortened timeline is, is very stressful for them. Uh, and again, it really does kind of ignore what people actually want to buy and, and what's reasonable to expect from consumers, too. Yeah. Well, we we talked a little bit about the uh, Tesla incentive, so let's uh, give a little more information about that. It's called Refer and Earn. It's the equivalent of uh, $500 in cash back for buyers in the U.S., who are purchasing a Model 3 or Model Y. Interesting to me that they're incentivizing. Yeah, it is interesting to see them cutting prices and incentivizing their vehicles. And all this is coming after them raising prices and prices going up just kind of naturally over the past few years. So, um, you know, that could speak to lower demand or it could speak to the fact that Tesla is now facing off against uh, every other automaker building an EV. Uh, but whatever the case is, they've had to do something to, to drive more interest in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing two vehicles that we had on vacation, the Toyota Camry Hybrid and the Toyota Sienna which is also all hybrid all the time. So stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. With Chris Chief, Jack Red back with you, and it's road test time. Road test time on vehicles that we had on vacation. And I think that's a particularly good time uh, to test a vehicle. You really learn a lot when you've got the, the whole family in the vehicle. I think you probably feel that same way too, Chris. Uh, Tell us about the uh, vacation vehicle that the Teague family had. Yeah, we were looking for or had reserved a, a rental car. And when we got in the car to drive to the airport to fly to Washington, we were told that uh, I got a call saying that, you know, that I hadn't made the reservation properly or something. Anyway, so we, we lost that car and I called Toyota. They were nice enough to give me a Camry for the week. 
uh, and they pulled it off. And I have to tell you, Jack, it had been a long time since I drove a Camry. I've actually owned a couple of Camrys. Uh, and this car, the 2023, it was the Camry Hybrid. So uh, it's got a 2.5 liter four-cylinder engine, 208 horsepower with an electric motor. Uh, this car turned out to be one of the better road trip type vehicles uh, that I've ever ever owned. That it was a wonderful uh, sort of companion, I guess, on our trips. So I want to get your feeling on this too. Uh, have you driven the most recent Camry, and, and what do you think about it? If you have, I have. I like it a lot, and. <laughs> You know, we drive so many tall vehicles that getting into a sedan just feels uh, like a wonderful vacation to me, a, a wonderful respite from... It's not that I don't like these other vehicles, but I just feel more attuned to the road. I feel uh, like I, the performance is better. I, I just like a sedan in a lot of ways, or like a, a, a conventional car. I agree. And anyone who's driven around Washington, D.C. recently we can tell you that the roads are quite rough, and the Camry uh, soaked up all of it. I mean, I think... I was most surprised. I looked over at my wife at one point and said, this car is so quiet. I can't believe how quiet it is going over all the, the cracks in the road. You know, I think uh, that's probably the biggest selling point for it to me. Uh, but in any case, we average about 39 miles per gallon. And with 208 horsepower, it's not the quickest car on the road, Jack. But I think it had plenty of uh, sort of grunt to get us where we needed to go. Most of our driving uh, was on the highway and, you know, early, I'm sorry, busy uh, rush hour traffic in a lot of cases in the car just held its own. I mentioned the quiet ride uh, and it's got a good acceleration from that engine, even though it doesn't have the most power in the world. So I don't think I have any complaints about the way that it drives. I think you kind of adjust your expectations uh, and you get out of more of it, you get more out of it than you think you will by doing that. But uh, inside the car had uh, quilted, I'm sorry, perforated leather upholstery, heated and cooled front seats. It's seven inch digital gauge cluster, if I can talk correctly, and a nine inch touchscreen. Uh, we had Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Finally, Toyota has implemented that across their product line. And the Camry's got a new uh, infotainment interface for 2023 uh, that works quite well. We've talked about this a lot, Jack, and I'll get your feelings on it, too. I think Toyota's improvements have made the, the system easier, quicker, and more responsive to use, but it's still not the best around. Uh, so what do you think about Toyota's latest uh, improvements to infotainment? Well, I think it's a world of improvement. And if it's not uh, the best, it certainly is a, such a world's better than uh, what they had before. And I think they were being beat up by that. And I think the whole industry actually is being beat up by the fact that infotainment systems are very troublesome. And Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are very troublesome. I think they've got past that, though. They have those uh, the ability to use those systems that so many people use. I think it's a pretty good system these days. Yeah, it's come a long way, and I appreciate their efforts because uh, I do. I'm a Toyota fan, and I like to see them do things the right way. Um, in any case, uh, Toyota Safety Sense comes standard, so you get things like automatic emergency braking, forward collision alerts. Uh, my car had optional uh, features like blind spot monitoring and rear cross-traffic alerts. I will tell you, in a busy urban environment, the number of alerts that you get from these systems can be a little overwhelming at times. Uh, but you can turn off things like we've talked about the lane departure alerts and things like that. So you can turn off some of them, um, but still it is, there's, there are a lot of alerts to sort of absorb along the way. Um, but as I said, Jack, you know, I'm not surprised that the camera was a good car. I'm surprised at how refined the camera was, how quiet it was and how well the systems work together in the car. Uh, and I absolutely would buy it if I were looking for a sedan today. I think uh, I need to drive the, the newest camera, the newest Accord to compare the two sort of heavy hitters in the segment, but I don't think there's a lot to worry about with the Camry. It's a very good car. Yeah, I like it a lot, and uh, I like the fact that it has that hybrid system that I think is is strong and actually gives you more better drivability than its horsepower would let you know. 
And I'm going to talk about that a little bit when I talk about the Siena, which I guess I'm about to do. This Texas trip that we took was was terrific. Uh, as, uh, as you know, Chris, and uh, a lot of listeners know, I have two grown daughters who live in Texas. One lives in Fort Worth, one lives in Dallas. And we meet, meet up with them every summer. We've done this for the last three years at uh, Cedar Creek Lake. That's fairly close to Dallas, pretty easy for them to get to. Our third daughter flew in with us and then we got in a Toyota Sienna, uh, drove to the lake house and had the Sienna throughout our vacation. So a nice combination of rural driving. I mean, really rural. <laughs> We're talking longhorn steers and, um, you know, one lane dirt roads. And uh, at the same time, super highways and, and urban traffic in, in Dallas, uh, not too far from there. So uh, a nice, a nice respite. And Toyota uh, Sienna was perfect for this. The hybrid powertrain is standard. Uh, you can get it in all-wheel drive trim, and all-wheel drive hybrid is unique uh, to this minivan. Obviously, minivans are great people haulers, and this turned out to be a terrific people hauler. I have three grown daughters, um, all in their 20s, so they don't pack light. Uh, let's put it this way. Even, even though we're traveling to a lake and probably going to spend a lot of time in bathing suits and on boats and stuff like that, they had a lot of gear, so uh, this swallowed it up very well. And we had the highest version, the um, very upscale cabin, really nice interior, maybe a little less versatile than some of the others where the, uh, because the second row seats don't come out, but they fold up very well. We had a platinum version, the, the highest level. And let me go through quickly uh, the various levels of, um, of Sienna you can get. The base Sienna LE is, has an MSRP of only around uh, $37,000, $38,000, which I think is uh, an absolute bargain because it has a lot of stuff, including three-zone climate control, active driver safety assist, power lift gate, nine-inch touchscreen that we talked about using the same system that we just talked about in the uh, Camry Hybrid. Then you climb through the various trim levels, the XLA, $42,000, the XSE, kind of sporty. Sporty minivan always struck me as an oddball thing, but uh, about $44,000. There's a 25th anniversary edition at close to $50,000, a limited $48,980, and then the Platinum, which is kind of all in. Uh, $52,000 is the base price. Head-up display, heated second row seats, very unnecessary during the 95-degree days that we had in, in Texas, 360-degree surround-view camera. Good stuff all the way around. The Sienna gets knocked by some for not having as much horsepower as some of the others, but I think that misses the point that the hybrid system with its two electric motors or three electric motors when you have an all-wheel drive trim kick in right away and you get all that torque. So you don't necessarily need as much horsepower because you're getting that drivability of all that torque. 245 horsepower is the, the total output of this system. But you know, what's your take on that? You probably experienced a similar thing in the, in the Camry. Yeah, I agree. You know, the, the extra torque down low makes it not feel so underpowered or underpowered at all in a lot of cases because you have that that grunt off the line. I actually think the, the Sienna feels fine. It's not going to win any drag races, but it'll get where you need to go without any problems. Yeah. The good news is fuel economy is excellent. I mean, uh, it has uh, 36 in the city, 36 on the highway. Uh, from the EPA in terms of mileage figures with front-wheel drive. It drops down eight, one mile per gallon with all-wheel drive, so you don't lose very much at all with all-wheel drive. And this vehicle rides very, very well, and the interior is very plush. I mean, everybody, we had to use uh, all three rows. Oftentimes, one of my daughters is 
sent to the third row. You don't have that problem because <laughs> you only have two. Uh, but when you have that third daughter, somebody's going to end up in the third row. And the good news is in this vehicle, um, third row is just fine for a fully grown five foot seven woman. I refer to my daughters now as women because they are, uh, as opposed to uh, children. And uh, the uh, platinum trims have deployable footrests and um, kind of a extended cushion. In some ways, that's uh, more trouble than, <laughs> than it's worth because it's not, not quite like an airline seat. But uh, uh, plenty of luggage space, 33.5 cubic feet of luggage space behind the third row. It swallows up a ton of stuff. I mean, we did a, a big box store run after dropping off all the luggage, uh, a ton of luggage, and uh, we certainly filled that up because we wanted a week's worth of stuff. So all in all, um, this is a good vehicle. I think we had very good vacation vehicles this time around. Chris, what do you think? I agree. Uh, I don't know why I'm so surprised by it, but I agree. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So uh, when we come back, we will have a great interview for you about uh, what's going on in the auto industry. It's crazy times in a lot of ways, and uh, maybe we're recovering and maybe we're not, but we'll talk with uh, Sam Fiorani friend of the program who's with Auto Forecast Solutions, so stay with us for that. This is not book chat, but we're going to talk about cars here pretty soon. But I also have a new book, Dance in the Dark. It's now available as a paperback and Kindle edition. It's on Amazon, of course. It's a suspense thriller, and it's a follow-up to my true crime book, Fatal Photograph. So you might want to have a look at that. And we'll be right back. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com. And it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red at Amazon.com or emlancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you, and we have a terrific guest for you. He's been on the show before. Sam Fiorani is global uh, Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting for Auto Forecast Solutions. Sam, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Great to be here, Jack. Well, we're, we reached the halfway point in the year, the auto year, right? The calendar year. Uh, it's been eventful, I think. Uh, why don't you bring us up to speed on, on what it looks like from both a, a global and a U.S. perspective? You know, what kind of year have we had so far? Well, globally, we're coming out of uh, semiconductor issues and all kinds of supply chain problems that have gone on all around the world, but have affected North American production a lot. And because of that, it's, over the last three years, we've seen a, uh, a shortage of vehicles in inventory, so people couldn't buy what they were looking for. But we're just getting to the point where people can actually find what they're looking for, uh, and it's bringing down prices of new cars and used cars. 
it's a much better market for the buyer today than it was any time in the last three years. You don't think you were out of the woods yet, though, do you? I mean, I went by a lot of dealerships in Texas when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and it struck me that uh, there's still not a lot of inventory on the ground. It's improving, but it's not where it had been, right? Oh, no, absolutely. We're, the manufacturers promised that we're not getting back to where it had been. Uh, but, you know, you know how capitalism works. Uh, somebody sees one too many vehicles in the next guy's lot, and you have to have two too many vehicles. And so it's it's going to snowball, and we're going to get back to somewhere closer to where we had been. But like, like you said, dealerships are still short of product. Uh, I, I drove by a few dealerships just yesterday, and they're, they're, I was surprised at how few vehicles are still on the lots today. Uh, I don't know if they're preparing for the, the rise in interest rates and, and lower demand, or what it, or or perhaps they just can't get the vehicles on the on the dealerships that I was at. But but I have seen dealerships around that that have a decent selection, and and across the United States at least, it, it it's getting better, and uh, and prices are starting to come down. We're seeing uh, EV competition heat up, where prices are dropping on those at the manufacturer levels. And then at the deal. Yeah, I really want to talk about that, but let's stay on the the macro uh, for the time being. Has it, would you characterize this as a good year for uh, the industry? Uh, an okay year? I mean, how how would you characterize it uh, in those kind of terms? In the bigger picture, it's an okay year. Uh, over the past few years, it's a good year. Uh, we had been, we had come off of a, a streak of about five years where sales were over seventeen million units, which was unheard of. We've only hit seventeen million. A couple times prior to that, and then to hit it five years running was amazing. So we're struggling to get back to that level. Uh, this year we're looking at uh, around 15 this year, but we're we're slowly coming back from the from the pandemic low, and uh, we expect sales to, to keep growing for the next few years uh, as long as supply chains stay strong. And uh, <clears throat> right now we're having in North America we're having a, a shipping problem. We're having trouble getting containers and getting train rail cars. So uh, getting parts and vehicles where they have to be is the the problem at the moment. Do you think manufacturers have learned from this? Are they changing their ways? Are they kind of just walking through it and then reverting back to uh, what they know? We always want to say they're learning, but you know, you know how this industry works and they, they seem to learn and then forget. And so we're, we're just going to expect them to, to move on and we'll, We'll gain a little knowledge from this and we'll learn a couple things and then the bigger picture will be lost and then we'll go through this whole cycle all over again. It's always something that happens and slows everything down. And recently it has been the supply chain. Previously it was the ups and downs of the economy or uh, issues with uh, labor which is another issue we're going to have in the next couple months. Well, maybe we can dive into that. But I'm, I'm really curious. We're, we're going to come up to the end of the summer here. Labor Day sales, you know, end of model year sales used to be a gigantic thing, uh, probably less so given lack of inventory. Do you think we're going to see some big sales uh, at the end of the model year? Or is this going to be kind of a, a dud for the consumer at that point? If they have vehicles to sell, they're going to sell them at this point because the demand is so high and the inventory is so low. But it's been a few years, probably a couple decades, since we've had a traditional model year. The, the, the fall selling season is just that, a fall selling season. It is not necessarily uh, what we, you know, years ago, we used to wait with bated breath for the, the dealers to unveil the new models. And that just doesn't happen anymore. When a new model's ready, it comes out. So it could be March, it could be June, it could be October. It doesn't really matter. 
uh, for model year reasons. Model year is whenever they start introducing the vehicle anymore. Uh, we, but we expect to see uh, uh, competition grow, grow as the year goes on because there's going to be more vehicles available. And uh, as, long as, as long as the dealers can get supply from the manufacturer, we're having less of a problem with semiconductors and everything else that has slowed production over the last few years. As long as they can make their way to the dealership, they're going to sell them. Do you think this is a good time to buy a car? Or if you were a car buyer and could wait a couple months, would you wait a few months? Would you wait into October, November, December uh, before you buy? The same answer I've had for a long time. The longer you can wait, the better it's going to be. The, the market is improving. The, in, the inventory levels are growing, but we're still not, we're not to the point where the consumer is uh, at an advantage to buy a vehicle anymore. It still leans towards the dealer, although it's getting better. We're no, we're no longer seeing ten and fifteen thousand dollars packed onto vehicles now. It's just if you're lucky, it might be this price. But uh, when it was the tradition was, you walked into the dealership and you negotiated the price, and it didn't start at ten or fifteen above the list price. It started, you know, a couple thousand below the list price, and then we went down from there. The longer you can wait, the better it's going to be because the more inventory, the more the dealers want to get rid of that product and, the, and they're more likely to, to negotiate with you. Yeah. Are manufacturers taking their eye off the uh, internal combustion engine ball or are they still putting most of their emphasis on that? Uh, by, by that, I mean, are they looking at EVs and, and giving that uh, more concentration than maybe it deserves? Internal combustion engine is still making the money for manufacturers. So they're not going to take their eye off that anytime soon. We expect you to be able to buy an internal combustion engine vehicle in any type for the next 10, 15 years without a problem. And it's still going to be another 15 to 20 years before you start to see segments disappearing uh, with uh, internal combustion engines. It's going to be a while. We're, there are plenty of EVs out there. And the stories right now are floating around is that the inventory is, is high on EVs. So if you were in the market for, let's say, a Mustang Mach-E, Production is really high and sales haven't caught up yet. So we're just waiting for for the, the sales to take off. Uh, the production of Mustang Mach-E's just last month were as much as they sold in all six months, the first six months of this year. So there's a lot of inventory for electric vehicles sitting around. Is that an anomaly, Sam, or is that uh, generally the case across a lot of the EVs now? I know there's been some pricing action there, uh, Tesla has been very aggressive about lowering prices. I, I was just writing a piece uh, earlier today about that and found that the prices had dropped from when I had last <laughs> written about them not that long ago. Talk about that a little bit, would you? The competition's heating up, and uh, Tesla was the first one to show it and the first one to take advantage of it because they have the ability to lower their prices. And by lowering their prices, they put the heat on everybody else. The number two model would be the Mach-E, and then you have all the GM products and the growing Nissan line and the Volkswagen models and all these other vehicles coming into to the field where the prices started off really high because first adopters want to get the, no matter what the price is. So if you have a $60,000 EV out there, they're going to buy that. Well, once you get through all those people who have $60,000 to spend on an EV, now you have to get to the average guy, average woman regular buyer who wants to buy a, a car and they're interested in an electric vehicle as well. 
So they're they're not going to plug down thirty sixty thousand dollars when all they can afford is thirty five. The competition is heating up, and you're seeing more and more of these vehicles floating onto the dealership lots. And as soon as uh, GM can get some more of their trucks out there, and then the lower price. Uh, sport utilities that are coming, you're really going to see this market heat up in the next two years. I was interested. I saw some pricing uh, with the uh, the General Motors, the Chevrolet Silverado EV, where they had backed away from having a $40,000 model, and now the entry level is going to be much more expensive. And, you know, that's that seems kind of being the case across the board with a lot of EVs. We're not seeing price drops. We're not seeing this quote-unquote economies of scale. Uh, is that going to kick in at some time? Once there's a, a, a choice out there, once there are, everybody has a variety of products from uh, small sport utilities to the big pickup trucks, then you're going to start to see that these prices come down. And General Motors is going to have to offer a, an entry-level electric pickup truck because there was an entry-level ICE buyer, and that that person is going to have to move over to an EV eventually. You're going to have to have the equivalence vehicle there. Uh, Ford did the same thing. They didn't see enough buyers at $40,000. But they did see a large number of buyers at sixty and seventy and eighty thousand dollars. So why not take advantage of that and take the profit that you can get out of that high end buyer? It, it's just going to take a lot longer for those models to trickle down to the rest of us that aren't looking to buy an eighty thousand dollar vehicle anytime soon. Well, what's your uh, outlook for the rest of the year? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be better than good from both the perspective of the industry and the car buyer? Yeah, for a car buyer right now, it's looking better as the year progresses. We're expecting a problem with uh, the labor unions as the fall comes around. Well, Sam, it's always great to talk to you. Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. Thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again real soon. Great to be here, Jack. Anytime. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jack and your head back with you. We're so glad you're with us. We really do appreciate it. And our, our goal is to help you out each week. And we try to do that in one way by answering your questions. And we have a bunch of questions. I think pretty interesting questions, educated questions uh, from our educated audience uh, this week. Uh, let's dive right in. This is from Stacy in Carlsbad, California. There's been a lot of talk about re- reusing vehicle batteries, but I haven't seen that being put into use is that something that's really going to happen? Well, yes, it is already happening, though probably not in the ways that you think of. So first of all, there aren't really a lot of companies out there taking batteries from one EV, installing them into another EV, although they do exist. Other companies are looking at repurposing the batteries, Jack, and I'm sure you've heard this as well. Um, It's really, they can use these as power storage devices for people with solar panels. So uh, you store the power from a sunny day for use at night or on a cloudy day. Uh, and they're also used for, you know, industrial purposes, store energy storage as well. There are probably some some purposes here that I'm not thinking of. Jack, what do you think about this one? That is the theory that uh, these batteries come out of vehicles. They don't have enough power storage ability to give reasonable range, so then they can be used for just the things you point out. What we have not seen really is that it's it's not really taking off yet. And maybe it's just because we don't have the critical mass of that. We don't have enough electric vehicles that have been long enough in service that they're coming out of service and then you can use those batteries. At the same time, I, I've seen some research that says maybe you're better off just buying a brand new battery for that use. And it might be cheaper than trying to, to recycle a battery that is 10 years old or toward the end of its useful life to do that. So... Uh, we'll have to see how that all unfolds. I, I don't think it's quite as simple as 
as we were told, but that's so true about so many things, isn't it, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I hope that they come up with some sort of process or we're going to have a lot of EV batteries uh, once people really start adopting the vehicles. Yeah, and uh, at some point, I mean, if you're storing stuff from your uh, solar system at home, you want that to uh, go for the life of the house, right? You don't want to be replacing those batteries all the time. So again, maybe buying a new battery for that use makes more sense than buying a recycled battery from uh, a car that is in so-so condition or something like that and, and doesn't certainly uh, deliver all the potential that it once had, which is so true about so many of us. I don't think I deliver all the potential <laughs> I once had either. Everything gets older. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an unfair trick on us to, as we get older that that, that happens. Well, here's a, another question, I think a, a good one too. This is from Ralph in Stovermont. He asks this, if you own an EV and were about to take a lengthy car trip, would you use your car, your EV, I, I take it, or rent a gasoline car? Food for thought. Jack, I think my answer is going to be it depends. It <laughs> depends on where I'm taking that road trip. If I were driving across Texas in the Midwest, I might choose a gas car just because chargers are so few and far in between. If you're driving from like New York to Boston, you have a lot of choices there. So uh, I think it really just depends on where in the world you're driving the car. I think, and it depends on your tolerance of delays, right? I mean, or either tolerance of delays, that's certainly a negative way to put it, or the ability to, you know, spend time in a local area and, and take it easy, right? And and not go so fast. I, there are areas where it's uh, simpler to use uh, an electric vehicle. I think the West Coast, uh, up the coast of California, you probably have pretty good shot at uh, supercharger networks and other charging networks uh, that you wouldn't have in a lot of other areas. I, I heard um, somebody talk about uh, traveling, uh, I think on I-95, that's the, the big corridor on the East Coast, right? That uh, And uh, was going from, I think, New Jersey to Florida in his uh, Tesla, and he said he'd never do it again. Uh, it's just too painful. It took too long. It took three times as long as he... Uh, had done it in a gasoline car. And, you know, that's that's got to be crazy when you really want to make time. Sometimes you want to soak in the scenery. Sometimes you want to take it in a leisurely manner. Other times you just want to put miles behind you. And uh, so I agree with you. It depends with that answer. I know uh, our producer on the show, Charlie Baker, has an EV and uh, frequently rents a gasoline vehicle or has I think purchase now a gasoline vehicle for family trips and stuff like that. So uh, that's one real world use, right? Yeah, I think the extra stopping time would be would make me guess think twice. I should say, make me think twice about taking an EV, even if I had all the chargers in the world. You still have to stop for thirty minutes to fill up or forty five minutes to fill up. So uh, that won't change until charging times actually comes down. So well, here's another good question. This is from Lonnie in Arlington, Texas. Lonnie says. I hear used car prices are down this month. What do you think about buying a used SUV right now? Well, used car prices are down, but they're not down from where they were uh, before the pandemic. So uh, what we're seeing now is relative cheapness to an elevated price point that we had, the price points that we've had over the past few years. I mean, look, the best time to buy a car is when you need a car, right? So if uh, all the hemming and hawing in the world, if you need a car right now, you need to go buy one. But uh, there are deals to be found. I think that, you know, if you're willing to be flexible on the color and maybe the trim level of the vehicle that you want, uh, you probably can get a good deal, especially right now with uh, some of the inventories that we're seeing. So um, I think, you know, if you need to buy a car right now, Jack, go ahead and do it. But just be careful to shop around and make sure that you're not paying uh, the highest price possible. We're in the midst of summer now, and a lot of people are asking me about safety tips for the summer. And 
Uh, there's a lot of things to think about, of course, when many of us go on family vacations at this time, and auto safety is top of mind. When you think of auto safety, of course, tires are a big, important portion of what you need to pay attention to, making certain that your tires have the proper tread depth and the proper air inflation, very, very critical. Don't forget about things like Simpler things like wiper blades as well. You're liable to run into some storms if you're traveling cross-country here. We're going to have a lot of thunderstorms through the summer. Uh, so your wiper blades should absolutely be up to par, ready, ready for uh, uh, deluge that could come upon you at any time. And you shouldn't neglect the air quality uh, within the cabin of your vehicle. What a lot of people don't realize is they have a replaceable cabin air filter. Most cars have that now. And so, and it's replaceable, as I say. So replacing it with a Purolator Boss premium cabin air filter with Febreze freshness is a great way to block and control odors from entering your vehicle. They're unscented, so only fresh, clean air flows through your vehicle. And they block uh, up to 99% of fine particles like road dirt, brake dust, smoke, soot, pollen, even inert allergens from entering a vehicle's cabins. They optimize the airflow through your heating, ventilating, and air conditioning system. They actually make your air conditioning system work better. And they're easy to install. You can do it in less than 15 minutes. You'd be surprised how easy it is. So look for that, the Purolator Boss Premium Cabin Air Filter. Of course, with heat on the rise, both in the air and on the pavement, uh, a motor oil, a premium motor oil is very important. Uh, I recommend Pennzoil Ultra Platinum Full Synthetic Motor Oil. It offers outstanding performance in extreme temperatures. It helps protect your engine and provides fuel economy benefits to allow you to make the most of your miles wherever life takes you and it could take you a lot of great places this summer. You can hit the road confidently with Pennzoil Ultra Platinum in your crankcase this summer and it's now available at Advanced Auto Parts or online at advancedautoparts.com. And finally, this is uh, something that I came across I think is really interesting. Um, it is from Credit Karma and it's called Karma Drive. And it allows you to monitor your driving score and see your eligibility for a discount with leading insurance partners of Credit Karma. There's no additional apps to download. Uh, you don't have to make a purchase of anything. Uh, really no obligation. You don't even have to give them any personal inf information. But at the same time, you can get real-time feedback on your driving behavior, something <laughs> maybe a lot of us could use. It includes scores on key categories that insurers use to determine driver safety and thus their rates. So you can track your discount odds as you go. You can make this kind of game over the course of a, a road trip this summer. Enjoy the journey, drive with confidence, knowing that uh, as you get to be a safer driver, it will be rewarded or could be rewarded uh, with lower insurance rates. So this is new from Credit Karma. It's called Karma Drive. You go on the Credit Karma app and, and check that out. A lot of important things to look at this summer uh, as we uh, go into summer driving season and taking those vacations. Important, so stay safe out there. That's our advice. So tell us about uh, the latest from YourTestDriver.com. YourTestDriver.com, we just got done redoing our safety vehicle, our vehicle safety information for 2023. We've added a ton of new vehicles there and more information on how crash tests work and why vehicles are rated the way that they are. So uh, come check that out. That's probably going to be our big big piece of content for this week, and we'll have a few others coming up. But I would hope to see everybody there. Yeah, check it out. Absolutely. And uh, while you're checking things out, please check out my newest book, Dance in the Dark. Uh, probably good summer reading. I'm, I'm told it's a, a good beach read. Uh, it's a crime thriller inspired by true crime. And, uh, of course, for some reason, 
crime is a passion of mine. I don't commit them, but I, I do write about them. So look for that from uh, Amazon uh, in both Kindle and paperback form. If you like America on the Road, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And please pass it on. Listen on this radio station each week and uh, let your friends know where you hear America on the Road. And also maybe pass on a, a podcast of America on the Road. Tell us where uh, our listeners can find podcasts of this wonderful program. Yes, you can find us on sportsmapradio.com. We're there on the Saturday morning schedule, which is right when we air every week. You can find our podcast there on all the major platforms. And you can also find a radio formatted version of the show done by the the fantastic people at SportsMap. We appreciate the SportsMap radio network stations that carry the show. Thanks so much for that. And most of all, thank you for listening to America on the Road. We do appreciate it. And we hope you'll be back with us next time for another edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.